0: Last week, Ben spoke briefly uh, about the idea of already, but not yet, as we looked at the period in David's life um, where he was anointed to one day be king over Israel, but in the season of life that he was in, God was uh, allowing him to work as a shepherd boy, if you remember, in serving his uh, family, and he was also a servant to Saul, uh, because apparently David could play a pretty mean harp, and I don't know how you do that, but I I like to think of it as like the electric guitar that we use today, because I know you can shred on that. Um, But church, there are typically three things that we all know uh, about David, and uh, they are one, that he was king over Israel. Um, We know that he sinned with Bathsheba and murdered to cover that up. And thankfully, I'm not going through that story today. We'll leave that to Ben. Um, And then um, we also know of the story of David and Goliath. And I know that upon mentioning Um, that story of David and Goliath, that we all probably have a concept of how the story goes. And I'm sure that many of you, like myself, have even heard sermons preached through this text and through this story. And uh, you may have heard things like, here are the five stones to defeat the giants in your life. And then those five things they may have said were um, prayer, reading your Bible, fellowship, And whatever else. And while that's a nice message, it's not really the driving point of this passage that we're going to see this morning. And if you actually stop and think about it, uh, it, it doesn't work because how many stones did David pick up? He picked up five. But how many stones did David use? He only used one. So I, I suppose that if you're going to go that route, then you could really just call it one stone to defeat the giants in your life. And that would be more accurate and more true to the text. But I don't think that that's the point. Um, and then there's another way that we hear this story. Um, and it's typically toned down. Uh, we, we call it a, a in sports uh, when a top tier team loses to a lower or lesser team. We call that a David and Goliath story. And uh, so that reminds me of like last year when um, the NCAA basketball tournament uh, they had UVA ranked number one. Anybody remember that? And uh, what happens in the tournament is they 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 pit them up against the lowest ranking seed, which uh, 16 seed being UMBC. And then the outcome of that game ended up being. Uh, 74 to 54 with UMBC on top. And my bracket was busted for the rest of that season, as I'm sure yours was. And uh, everyone said at that time, that's a true David and Goliath story. And church, while that concept is certainly inspiring, as we go through the story in the moment, the most inspiring part of the story for the believer is not that the little man beats up the big man. That's not the overall point. And the danger at looking at it in these ways is that we will end up making the story about us. But listen, church, the stories in the Bible are not only meant to show us truths about ourselves, but it is also, and I would argue, more so to teach us about God himself. And so if God's word is his self-disclosure, if God's word is his way of making himself known to the world, then What we will find throughout the Bible in every story is a truth about God that we should learn. And the reason God gives us these stories in uh, the manner that he does is so that we can look at the people in the scriptures and see that we are made from the same frame as mankind in need of God. And so this morning, what I believe the text is going to show us about God uh, is that he gives his people an identity and that in that identity, we can have great confidence. And so before we begin, let me pray. Father, we come to you this morning because Lord, we are in need of you always and uh, really is in need of seeing you through your word. God, we're all gathered here this morning for that. And God, let us see how strong and mighty that you are as we go through this text. I pray that it would build our confidence so that our trust remains steadfast in you alone, our rock and our fortress. God, help us to receive your word in this time. I pray you draw your people nearer to yourself. God, I pray that you would draw those who are here and far from you, draw them to yourself, Lord, and that all of us today would really see our great need For Jesus, our rescuer, our deliverer, and our savior, we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So 1 Samuel 17 is where we'll jump in in just a moment um, as we examine the life of David in the story of David and Goliath. And so to set the stage, uh, what we have is two armies who are about to engage in battle, and they are encamped near each other. And what has been happening is the Philistine army has this man that Scripture calls a champion. And his name is Goliath, and he stands uh, almost 10 feet tall. If you were to look at it in our measurements today, we would call it uh, about 9 foot 9, okay? That's pretty tall. So to give you perspective, I'm 5'9". I'm so imagine putting four more feet on top of me. I probably couldn't even touch the top of his head. This, this man is a tower. And so, so I wear shorts, and Goliath wears talls. Sorry, that's a bad joke. Um, but the scriptures detail that this is a monster of a man. It says that the tip of his spear weighed 15 Pounds. Some of you work out with 15 pounds. And if you're a man doing that, I'm judging you right now. But it says that the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. Are you hearing me? A weaver's beam. We're using beams to support the new building project that we're working on. And he's using it as a weapon. And so it says that his armor that he was wearing weighed about 125 pounds. That's like carrying a small person. And not only that, but we learn uh, from this chapter that he has been a man of war from his youth. And so you know that he has a certain athleticism about him. He's not like thin like Gumby or thin like Gabe Lewis from The Office. Like you can't be a tall, thin man and be able to wear such heavy armor and throw a spear that's over 15 pounds. This man is strong. And because of his size and experience, what we see is that he's confident that he can beat anybody and honestly I'm sure he could I wouldn't want to test that and so the story goes on and Goliath is coming out every day he's offering to fight one man who's willing to represent the nation of Israel and whoever wins the battle the other side will become their servants that's a fair fight right And he does this for 40 days. And so you can imagine with as long as the army of Israel has prolonged this engagement that no one wants to fight this man. And let me say, brothers and sisters, there is a real enemy at work against us. There is a real enemy that wants to take you down. Satan is hard at work trying to keep people from loving and obeying God. He's hard at work trying to keep us from believing God, and he's trying to keep us from obeying God. And the way that he does this is he, uh, especially to God's people, he uses fear to keep us from believing God. He uses fear to keep us from our identity as children of the Most High. And he uses fear because he knows that that's the best shot that he can take against God who he hates. And this is to to rob him of the trust of all the children like you and me that God has adopted into his family. And what we'll begin to see from this passage is that the Israelites have forgotten their identity that God bestowed upon them. So let's look to the word to see how this plays out. Let's look at verses 4 through 11 in chapter 17. It says, And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spears had weighed 600 shekels of iron and the shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And verse 10 says, and the Philistine said, I defy the, the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And notice in verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly Afraid. Church, this is the reaction of Saul and his army when they heard the words of the Philistine. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. And we can see just how afraid that they were because it has been 40 days that Goliath has been coming out and defying the people of Israel and their Lord. And no one has stood up to fight. Friends, their fear has crippled them. Friends, their fear cost them 40 days worth of supplies as they remain encamped at the battle line. It cost them 40 days away from their families. Their fear cost them 40 days of no peace inside. Fear has a hefty, hefty price tag. And friends, fear is a terrible master and it will enslave you if you let it. And what's most staggering about their fear is that it cost them namely their identity as God's people. I mean, think about this. Think about who they were. How did the people around them perceive them? They had a unique history of God, delivering them from slavery after 400 years. And not only that, but he splits the Red Sea in two so that his people could escape from the army of the Egyptians that were pursuing them. And then with that same water, he covers up the entire Army that he had just held out for his people to pass through. Church, this is their identity. They are God's people. They have experienced so many deliverances, even after this exodus. And we don't have time to recount their whole history up until this time. But do you see the point? The point is that God fought for them. God has given them every reason to trust Him in every situation, and yet fear has stopped their minds from believing Him. It makes me think about my own life as I examine all that God has done in pursuing me before I was a believer, and how God rescued me from sin's certain destruction over my life. If I begin to look back and I can see God orchestrating things to bring me right where I am today, God has brought me. I've seen him orchestrate me at coming to be a believer. I've seen him orchestrating me at getting married to my wife. Uh, i see him orchestrating and preparing me to become a father for my son. Even the job that I have today, if I look back, I can remember how me and my wife prayed for a full-time ministry opportunity. And the very next day, Ben calls me and offers me the position here. God has shown himself mighty. And everything I've had to face in my life, if I would look back and examine that, can you look back and see what the Lord has done on your behalf? How he has redeemed you and how he's been sanctifying you. How God has not left you on your own to figure out how to please him. God has been gracious. But I'm amazed at how quickly I can be overcome with fear even when I've experienced time and time again God's goodness and grace in my life. So I was raised uh, by a family who didn't have the privilege of getting higher education other than a high school diploma. And so um, because that wasn't uh, something that our household knew about uh, or even had stepped out and tried... um, I didn't go right out of high school and get a four-year degree. And so um, it's some years later before I began even working on that degree. But I can tell you, I was so fearful to even pursue that track. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even know how to sign up for it. And it's kind of funny. Some of y'all looking at me like, oh, I didn't know I was better than you, Josh. It's Okay. Uh, But I I didn't even know how to sign up for it. And it's kind of funny because it's actually not that difficult. But church, I wrestled with that for years before I had the courage to even pursue that track. You see, fear had caused me to not be willing to act. Even though I had experienced God and his goodness to me in so many ways. All I could see was difficulty that I didn't want to face. And I don't know the fears that each person in here has and that they deal with on a daily basis, but I imagine that all of us have something that we are afraid to face and we're blinded to our past because of it, of how God has already brought us through so much. Fear puts the brakes on you experiencing who you should be in the Lord. The Israelites had forgotten what God has done in their past. And uh, they are limited by their fear, only seeing the here and the now. But then David comes on the scene, and uh, he discovers what's been going on. And so he's coming to bring food to his brothers and to bring word back to their father about their well-being. And uh, he, as he comes to serve them at the battle line, he sees Goliath come out. And defy Israel. And what's interesting is instead of being overcome with fear, David is strangely overcome with confidence, which is crazy. Because the text tells us that he is still pretty young, and David hasn't had the experiences in battle as these other men have. And uh, certainly not like Goliath had, but he has been a shepherd for some time now. And he's seen some action particularly with a lion and a bear that were trying to come after his sheep. And David's like, "Uh uh-uh, not today, not not happening, you filthy beast. And he just acts, and he takes them. So why did David act when he was face-to-face with a lion and a bear? I mean, what kind of mindset do you have to be in to take on a lion and a bear? What kind of mindset do you have to be in to take on a man who's almost 10 feet tall and a warrior? Because naturally, we should think, that's crazy. But let's examine David's mindset as he comes face to face with a seemingly impossibility. Let's pick it up in verse 37. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion... And the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Isn't this marvelous? He says that God delivered them into his hand. It wasn't David's personal strength that took them down. He relied on the Lord He is, in this scripture, he is recounting how he has seen God move in his life. You see, the the David had past experiences that he came face to face with uh, fear. And when he overcame it, the way that he overcame it was to trust that the Lord was going to move on his behalf. He had no choice. He wouldn't stand a chance against a hungry bear or a hungry lion. But what are those to God, the one who's created them? They're no match. And on this day, David sees the Philistine defying the Lord. He sees Goliath defying the people of Israel. And he knows that Goliath is no match for the Lord. And he is overcome with great confidence as he faces the situation. And he begins to testify to Saul saying, The Lord delivered them into my hand. Church, don't despise the hard things that God brings you to. Because they are more than likely the things that God is using to prepare you for what's to come. And I'm sure that David didn't understand the big picture of what God was preparing for him when he faced the lion and the bear in these moments. But he acted when the situations arose. God wants us to trust him enough to act when we are faced with the trials of life. He doesn't want us to be uh, come crippled by fear and unable to step out and try. Isn't that what faith is all about? Trusting that God is with you. Brothers and sisters, every trial, every hardship that we face as a believer is never a waste with God. God always has a multifaceted plan of beauty for every one of His children in which He is going to show Himself mighty through them. Isn't this the promise of Romans eight 28? Let's look at it. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called and uh, according to His purpose. You see, all the past experiences had set David up to really be received as king one day. This meeting with Goliath and his victory over the giant made him known throughout all of Israel as they all began to see that the Lord was with him. And this is his first big public appearance, and what a way to show up. And I'm sure that even this battle, as David in the future looked back on uh, um, his life, it proved to be profitable to God's plan for his life of becoming king. I'm sure it contributed to the men following him as he begins his journey of becoming king and even the commander of their army. They all know that he is the one that the Lord used to deliver them from this Philistine enemy. And again, the people of Israel learned the lesson that God loves them. And do you know how I know that? Because he showed it to them. This time he showed it in his protection and his deliverance yet again. Brothers and sisters, David stayed true to his identity as one of God's children. He trusted the Lord would deliver him from Goliath because he was able to recount what God had done in helping him in his other trials. This is a man who knows that the living God, he knows the living God, and I want to to show you David's confidence in God Almighty as the Lord delivers Goliath into his hand. Let's read starting in verse 45. It says, Then David said to the Philistine." You come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. toward the battle line to meet the Philistine and David put his hand in his bag he took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead and the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with the stone and struck the Philistine and killed him what a fun portion of scripture to read this is like so much better than the movie Gladiator. And yet, Gladiator is still a good movie. Yeah, but this story of David and Goliath, is, uh, th- th- this is just one more difficult for David to face. But he's so confident in the Lord that he's not swayed by fear because he knows his God. He knows that his life counts for God. Church, our lives as believers don't count for us. They count for God. And let me ask you, is there a better legacy to leave than that? That we get to bring glory to his name? I don't think there is. And I would guess that even the years as a shepherd and servant to his brothers, all of his time serving Saul, playing that mean harp, David is hot on those strings now, all of these experiences is what God was doing to prepare him for what was to come. And church, all of the experience that we have in our lives are just digging a deeper well of experience to draw from so that we will be most profitable for God's glory. And if you're not careful, you will not, if you're not looking for the ways that God is cultivating your life to fill your well with experiences, that, that you would make his name known through those things, then you will miss it. Fear will rob you of that. Have you ever taken time to think about other trials that the Lord has delivered you from? When you go through hard things in life, is all you see the here and now? I believe that what we can learn from this text is that God's people back then and today... We'll all have a history full of His grace in bringing us through anything that we may face in this fallen world. We'll all have personalized story of God's goodness and grace of bringing us through things that are impossible for us. And church, time and time again, God has shown Himself mighty as a deliverer. And for us today, we have even greater confidence than David did back then. And the reason that I say that is because David was awaiting the coming of the Messiah who would ultimately crush our greatest enemy, sin and separation from God. No longer do we have to guess about God's love and how he'll show it because he has ultimately shown it to us in Christ Because of God's work of redemption, Christ conquering death, hell, and the grave, we now have an identity that has been bestowed upon us as children of God. And as children of God, we can believe that He will help us through every hard thing that we'll have to face. And not only that, but when we go through those things, we will begin to have our own track record of God's goodness and grace in our lives, where he has continually shown himself mighty in power, continually showing his strength perfect in our weakness, constantly communicating to us that he loves us as he conquers the things that we can't face on our own. With his love as our identity, we can take on the world because we know that he is fighting for us. And so this morning, for some of us, fear is keeping <clears throat> keeping you from facing what you need to uh, do in your life. And uh, what would be helpful for you is to go and reflect on the ways that you've seen God at work in your life. Recount the many blessings that he has given as he's brought you through other trials. And for some of us, we need to do like David did to Saul and the nation of Israel and just testify of the Lord's goodness in your life so that your friends can hear that and be encouraged. And then maybe for some of us, we need to stop listening to others' fears and imposing them on ourselves. And we need to look to God for his perfect peace and strength. Church, it's my hope that all of us here today would take time to reflect on all that God has done what he's able to do. Don't be blinded by the here and the now. Don't let fear rob you of your identity. Live out your identity as a child of God, confident in his love for you and willingness to fight the battles that are too great for us. And I'll leave you with the words of Jesus as he's speaking to the disciples before he goes and is crucified. He says these words to them, and just just highlighting his love and his concern, his care. And church, God loves us. And so, let me leave you with these words. It says uh, in John fourteen twenty seven, "Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid." Let's pray.